Welcome to Culture Score. I am one of your hosts, Ben Tubo, and this is Marcus Moore. Today we have another special guest for you guys, as promised, and we have Chef Ian Baker, aka Chef B. Welcome to the show, Chef. Thanks for having me, fellas. Good to see you or hear you. Sorry. <laughs> you can see us in your mind, man. Yeah, <laughs> we're spirits. Yeah, it is. It's spirit. Yep. It's what it is. So on this podcast, gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, we review film and TV shows at intersection of black culture and popular culture. We are at the heart of culture and the entertainment industry. Today, we're covering High on the Hog, a culinary journey of black cuisine. It's based on Jessica B. Harris's book of the same name. It's brought to you by Netflix and is directed by Roger Ross Williams and Jonathan Clasberry. Our guest today, as previously mentioned, Chef B., Chef Ian Baker is husband to Tay and dad to twins, Samri and Sage, both seven, and to Bryce, five. He has been cooking for over 20 years, a former three-sport athlete at Hampton University. Yeah, yeah. HQ. <coughs> 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 Can't wait. Mark, well, is you feeling okay? I'm feeling real good. Feeling real All right. good. <laughs> All right. All right. Ian, Chef B, is a true entrepreneur. He started with a food vending cart, which eventually grew to Chef Baker's catering before selling that business. He turned right around after selling the business and started Bake Box, which gives people the opportunity to order a box with a three-course meal and cook along with him. That sounds like fun, man. He enjoys cooking, riding his bike, collecting and wearing sneakers, traveling, and road trips. He's looking to relaunch his podcast in the summer of 2021, and he's going to be called The Random with Chef Baker. He's a proud member of Kappa Alpha Psi. The pandemic taught me, he says, that dreams don't sit on shelves. They must be on the go all the time. That's a quote from Chef B. Marcus, hit him with the synopsis of High on the Hog. Man, you know before I can get into that synopsis, I got to give a little shout out to my fellow Hampton University. I was trying to hoodwink you. You know know we ain't passing this. This guy from the home by the sea. We got to take a moment to acknowledge all the skill sets in this renaissance man and just let it be known because for the first time ever, I'm not the only Hamptonian on this piece, and we should have been rectified this, but I can't figure <laughs> out a better person to be the first one to do it than Chef B. So all, all jokes aside, thank you so much for being on the show, man. We're so Again, happy to have you. thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, great, yeah. great, great, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Man. Welcome, Ian. But uh, Marcus, you said, uh, did you say the H-U? Because that's your line. Did you say that? Get it out your throat before it, you choke up. Oh, it's it's the it's the we we everybody yeah. else the the Howards the Harvards the no. Hofstras. I don't listen. Y'all to y'all y'all all playing for second. Let's yeah. let's just know that. Just know that. We don't listen to it. Uh, <laughs> y'all don't even exist. I don't even bring them up. Yeah. Uh, no, you know it's like a figment of my imagination. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, I, I want to just throw this out to everybody like this. It's such a perfect episode for all of us to be on this on this uh, episode for you all because Chef B, obviously being a chef and this guy who is like a master of the culinary arts, you got Ben, who you all know is uh, the, the his favorite, the Black Panther. He considers himself to be the Black Panther. 
you know, representing Cameroon to the fullest and me being from South Carolina. Two, three, seven. You know? <laughs> so this, 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 this show, this series is like a microcosm of the three of us. If you put us all together, um, I feel like it was done so well. If you're a fan of Anthony Bourdain or uh, any of those type of shows, it's just done with such eloquence where the host, Steven, goes around and he's just talking about the importance of food to the black culture, how it got here, how we got to where we are now, and just how American is. It's not just a black American uh, cuisine. It, it is. Black American cuisine is American cuisine. Um, it's just done so, um, it's just done with such precision, with such eloquence, um, with such heart. Um, you can't talk about black food without talking about um, slavery, because that's how a lot of the food got here. And you can't talk about black cuisine without talking about having to make something out of nothing and making it better than anything else you ever had before. Um, so I can't wait for us to discuss it. I can't wait to do a deep dive and get to know uh, Chef B even better. Um, to anybody out there, listen, check him out. We're going to give social handles at the end. Uh, just a renaissance man doing so many things, entrepreneurial, uh, you know, cooking, just everything you teacher. can think of. Yeah, teacher, just like just a person whose heart's always in the right place trying to make moves. Uh, we want to support that here. So we ask that all the people listening support those those causes, because if not us, who? So, uh, yeah, let's do a deep dive. Let's get right into High on a hog. So, uh, Ben, I'll let you start us off. Yeah, so to me, a natural place to start the conversation is to make this personal for Chef B, right? As a family man, as a community man, an entrepreneur, and a chef, what does food mean to you? Yeah, thanks. Um, it, it's so it's a real broad question, and the answers can be uh, truly simple. Uh, it's like, I don't want like, it's extravagant for me to say like food saved my life, but like, actually it, it kind of does. Like it, it saved me to give me something to do because as many people out here, like you can look at like African-American homes and black people in general, just anywhere we need stuff to do and being creative, uh, food found, like, let me tap into my creativity um, I always wanted to be like a sports agent. You know, we had, we had we were just having a conversation about sports. I was so into sports, sports, sports. And then I kind of like changed up. I was like, you know, I don't want to do that. I want to do something where I can tap into create my creative side and also be able to give and do something. So uh, food gave me that outlet because I didn't really know like after a while uh, when I left Hampton, I was like, what am I going to do? I, I had no like true like path. I worked in uh, marketing for an uh, engineering company and I know I didn't want to do that forever. And then um, it was just like the opportunity to go to culinary school happened. And I was like, let me check it out. And I was able to keep my job and go part time and do that. So like food is like the base for me, you know, um, and just to like attach everything to it. I don't really if it's very rare that I take on a project that doesn't have to do with food. So like, if somebody's like, hey, can you do this for us? If it doesn't have anything to do with food, I'm kind of like, I just want to, I'd just rather be there. But if it has something to do with food, I, I want to be involved. You know what? I mean, for me, food is good times. You know, like, you know, two of the pillars of my, my strength that has kept me going my entire life 
Um, it's probably my aunt Frances, my mom, and my grandmother. And I've lost two of those three. Um, so when I think of good times and just when I'm having a, a, a tough time, I always think about my mom or I think about my grandmother. And I don't really think, like when I think of them, I always think about Christmas. And it's not about the gifts. I think about the feast and the amount of hours spent into making that honey-basted ham or that turkey or that stuffing or that sweet potato souffle. I mean, I just it just puts a, a smile on my face and it, it just really tugs at my heartstrings and just put me in a good place. I think food is the foundation of who we are. It's not just sustenance. It's, it's what makes you grow both physically and spiritually. Um, it's just so important. And, you know, being from the Southeast, you know, the collard greens. Lord, I love the collard greens and the and the candy yams and the, and the, you know uh, the homemade biscuits. I just think about those things, but it's so much more than that. I think about my uncle going fishing and having a fish fry and just sitting out there watching him scale this fish. And I mean, just food is is family for me. It's it's so it's so much more, like I said, than sustenance. And I can't even imagine. Uh, any people, but I definitely can't even imagine a black person of from any country, from any town, from any city, and food not being the thing that you most think of. When I say, what is it like to be black? I think most people, after they talk about their family, their loved ones, food is going to be one of the two to three first things they mention. Maybe, maybe music, maybe music might give give food uh, a little bit of a run for its money. But even for me, over music, nothing is more quintessentially a part of our fabric than food. And uh, so, yeah, like when I think of food, I just, I think of good times. I, I think of healing. You know, I, I think of those things. You know, you hear people joke all the time, like, oh, you had a bad day. What did you do? Well, I had a pint of ice cream. You know, food is just so synonymous. I can't watch a movie unless I got some popcorn. And being knows I'm a popcorn aficionado. <laughs> I am the king of popcorn. My wife is like, popcorn is not one of the five food groups. And it's, uh, you know, I'm like, it is for me. <laughs> I, eat, I can eat popcorn every single day and not get enough of it. But so what does food mean to you, Ben? No, so to me, I mean, food is very cultural and very defining. I think, you know, when we think of food, it's like that's a cornerstone of culture. It, you know, defines how a people survive. It defines your history. It defines a lot of things, right? That's the intellectual part. But, you know, the real part is, you know, from where I am, where I'm from, Cameroon, the northwestern part of Cameroon, like food is, is medicine. I mean, food is faith. Food is tradition. It's rituals. It's rites. It's norms. It's respect. I mean, like literally, there are certain things that you do or don't do with food to convey respect to adults, right? To convey um, tradition. So, for example, right, where I'm in Cameroon, this uh, it's a cola nut. It's like a caffeine-containing nut that adults would eat. Um, it comes from like an evergreen tree, and there's another one that's called bitter cola, which is like an aphrodisiac, but if you're not an adult, you're not even allowed to eat it. And when adults eat it, when they come together to communion, right? So if you meet somebody and they give you cola, you can't say no because that is respect. It means they see you, they recognize you, and they respect you. They give it to you. If they come, if men meet, females will eat it too, but not 
all the time. If it's like a, a gathering and it's not enough, then the females don't get it, right? Or say for another another example, culturally, they kill like a chicken, for example, the gizzard. I know it's not really big. The, the gizzard, which is one, it's like a goat head. The gizzard is only eaten by the adult in the house. So like head of the household, and if there's an older male adult in the house, then the head of the household, the gizzard goes to that person. If you are younger and you eat it, a whole new chicken needs to be prepared. Like, because if that adult does not eat that gizzard, it means there is no chicken. Right. So to me, like culturally, food means all these things. You know, it's tradition in a very deep way. Obviously, you also eat, you know, to fill your belly and for nutrition. Um, and, you know, like I said, the, 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 the certain foods that are medicinal, the way they're consumed, right? And it, it, it's seasonal. It, it's indicative of a lot of things, to be honest with you. And watching, watching High on the Hog and watching the marketplace is very similar to the marketplace, you know, in the, the region of Cameroon where I grew up and most regions now. So obviously it's, you have those kinds of marketplaces and there are other ones that are regular old stores that you can walk into and pick things up. But, you know, for folks who want to cook at home, and things like that. You buy things at a seasonal. Perishable foods are not frozen. They're not, you know. So, food is very indicative of society. It's very indicative of life. It's very indicative. I mean, to the extent that I know I'm going all over this with this, but to the extent that, you know, in in my parents' household, there are certain foods that are indicative of the day of the week. So on this day you eat this. On that day, on Sunday you eat this. So if you come home. And you see the Sunday food on like Wednesday, then maybe you're getting a guest, right? So, so it's it's it, it's a lot, you know. Food is really it's extremely cultural and it's very deep in a way that's almost nostalgic. Watching High on the Hog and thinking about, you know, how food is situated in the culture and how they're using it to really tie themselves back to the history of the people and the his, you know, the times. You know, food does it really checks all those boxes for me. Yeah, I I feel like you know the host of the of the show, Stephen Satterfield, really took us on this this journey with him, and to be this black man who allows us to see his vulnerability and just see how much he's moved by the stories that are associated with just getting the food here from Africa. And then seeing the impact and how the economy of America was pretty much created from the backs of, of slaves and the foods that they created through that process. The show kind of goes into, you know, you know the, the intersection of black history, black culture, and how it's tied to black cuisine. When both of you think of food that is quintessentially black, like when somebody says this food, you're like, oh, that's somebody black. Um, what, what what comes to mind? And, and when you hear the term soul food, um, what are some of the first foods that come to mind? Um, I'll throw it to you first, Chef B. Yeah, uh, for me, uh, the, the first things that come to mind are definitely uh, like mac and cheese. Um, I think like it's hard to think of like the essence of it, but like just to think of like the, the genesis of it is definitely like mac and cheese and uh, greens and 
I more to think like of the holidays a lot. Like it's heavy on me with the holidays because I think that's the most time that I can actually enjoy other people's cooking. Um, like with, but other times, if you're out like uh, going out to eat or whatever, you're definitely uh, fried chicken is definitely out there. Um, I think that's what we like pride ourselves on, um, and it's just they're they're simple examples. They're not like the ultimate like finisher but there's just simple examples that i think that we just live as like a black culture in america yeah i get it i mean i totally agree i mean what what are your thoughts being like when you think of like foods that are quintessentially black or uh when you think of like what is referred to as soul food like what comes to your mind so there's a couple things that kind of cross my mind when i i think about it in that way the one part of it is Soul food, right? So I think soul food to me, when you think of black food, I think of just spending time thinking about what black food is because the movie or the show did make me think about it. You know, you think it's like you start thinking references of like Italian food, Brazilian, Japanese, Chinese. Obviously, we're using rather facile definitions of what Chinese food is because for us, we think rice and, you know, the different versions of chicken and all of that. I'm sure that what's obviously more to it like on japanese food we probably think sushi and all these things right it's a facile american way to think about it so acknowledging culturally there's way more to to that right to all of these things but at least when we think of them we have a a visual of what it represents you know when i think of black food and soul food which is i think the pseudonym of it to me, it's really around the seasonings and the flavors and the preparation, right? You see, like black food, you don't eat, you don't see or eat bland black food, right? You think about candied yams, which, my, my goodness, it can give you all kinds of diabetes on the spot, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, and you think about all the other seasonings that, you know, we use in our foods to make it what's considered black. Like even like just simple fried chicken. If you go to a, a restaurant that's a black restaurant, if you don't know if, if you don't know what you want to eat, order chicken. They're not gonna mess it up, right? Order some greens. They're not gonna mess it up. But it's really because of the seasonings. Just like you know, um, Jamaican food or island food. Let's call it that because, you know, it's similar, just different variations based on the seasonings and all of that. But, you know, to me, um, as a Cameroonian and from that part of the world where um, we have this conversation, it's very different from, you know, West Africa, you know, Nigerian, Cote d'Ivoire and Ghana and Liberians, you know, and all of these, you know, the, they're kind of in the same part part of the world, but they're very unique culturally. They're very unique from a standpoint of cuisine, right? They eat the same kind of things, but not, not quite the same. So if you want to talk about black food from that side, something that's common is the jollof rice, which they did mention in High on the Hog, but they used it. The mention was almost as a species of rice. The jollof rice that I'm talking about is the preparation of rice, which is like almost a boiled rice with a sauce that's mixed up and cooked together. Like, it's something to die for. Marcus, you've tried it before. You remember when we had um, yeah. the food truck? Yeah, I loved Africa it. It was chop. delicious. Yeah. yeah, Africa Chop. So you've tried it, but the version that you tried, as delicious as it was, 
it's the bland-ish version because obviously they're trying to make it more appealing to um, an American taste. Generally, yeah, generally appealing, right? Otherwise, you'd have all kinds of kicks and pops in your mouth because they'll add, you know, some some peppers or some Maggie Cube or like there are all these different things that they use to spice it up and they'll throw in, depending on who cooks it, you know, smoked fish or, um, you know, chicken or beef. They cook it in different ways and it's a whole vibe. I mean, if you ever want to read up funny articles about, you know, Nigerian, Ghanaian, Cameroonian, Liberian conversation, uh, <laughs> Let me call it arguments, very friendly arguments around who has the best jollof rice. That part of, um, when I think of black food, to me, um, and being region specific, obviously not in the U.S., but being region specific and wanting to point to that side of the world, that's what it is. But writ large, I'd say it's really in the preparation. It's really in the seasoning. It's really in the flavor. It's really in how, you know, food is treated, right? We take not so much, but we make it more than what it could possibly be just by adding seasonings and you know and how we prepare it so to me that that's how i think about it what about you marcus yeah. no i mean i think both of you pretty much sum up what i was thinking you know i it doesn't really matter I, one of the things i would challenge people with because i think so often we think of soul food we think of fried chicken and greens and yams but i think of you know there's crab legs there's you know whatever food black people touch we put our heart and soul in it, and you can taste it. So I, to me, when I think of black food, I, I don't really think of a, a particular style of food, per se. Um, what's quintessentially black, I don't have a particular type of food. Uh, my great-grandmother made one, a pound cake in its simplicity. That is the best taste in pound cake. I, when I tell you, whatever you like as a dessert, and you're like, oh, pound cake, that seems so boring. She'll put your favorite dessert to rest. It will rest in peace. That pound cake was so delicious. <laughs> I'm going to tell you right now, your taste buds go on a vacation, and you're like, my God, like, who can do this to a pound cake? Like, this is just a pound cake. And I just, and I think that's what it is. I mean, when I think of what is quintessentially black food, I don't think of a particular food. I think of an emotion. Like, when you're eating that food and your eyes close, because it's so good, like, you can't even keep your eyes open. I catch you can't believe what you tasted. And you do that. You just you do the little just, baby dance and rub your belly, close yes. your eyes and hum. Yes. I mean, that's why black people have to take a nap after they eat. Because we are we are just at peace. <laughs> it sets you off so nicely. Like, you know, you, you know, you go, you know, I think a lot of people get up and, and go to church on Sunday, especially black churches. They go, they go and they listen to the sermon, but they stay for the food afterwards. Because that food sets up your whole week. Like, people wait all week to get to that food. And, I, I mean, so, yeah, that lip smacking, you know, you just licking your lips. You're so stuffed. And it just, you just, you can feel the love that comes from it. You know, it doesn't have to be your parent. It doesn't have to be your your grandparents. You know, I can go to Chef B's, you know, his folks' place. I can go with, with being to his folks. The moment you get that feast in front of you, I've eaten so many things that I swore I can't stand. Like, I don't eat that. And then somebody black will put a plate in front of me, and I, my mom was the queen of this. She wouldn't tell you what it was until you tried it, until you ate it. Because I'd be like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't eat that. And then she's like, you don't eat that? I said, oh, I don't like, I don't, that, ain't, that ain't my cup of tea. She said, oh, really? I said, and I know as soon as she say, oh, really, 
I know I got got. I have gotten got. I was like, what, what is it? She said, well, you just ate a whole plate of it. I said, moms, that ain't what that is. She said, well, I know what it is because I made it. And I mean, I'm going to tell you the truth. I didn't go back and got second and thirds. That's what black food does to you. It makes you a liar because you think you know what you like. What was that movie? And it make you want to slap your mama. What was it? Um, what movie was that? I don't Friday? Remember. I think it was some it maybe, was some yeah. one of these yeah, Friday. Maybe it was movies. Friday. Yeah. So, so yeah. It was, was it one Friday? of these Friday. What's um the guy that was uh was it? Yeah, what was his name? The comedian that just passed. That was him. The comedian. The comedian, the guy oh, that was yeah. in, um, uh Paul Mooney. No, no, not Paul Mooney. Craig's nope. dad in, in Friday. Oh, uh, oh, uh, oh! That was uh, next Friday. Then. All right, I'm I'm thinking of the first John one. Witherspoon. Yeah, when they had yeah, the ribs, yeah, they yeah, had the yeah. He was, or the, like this one yeah. of them where he's like, yeah, "It's for to make you want to slap, slap your mama." Your mama. And then he yep. slapped her. I think her, that right? was John Witherspoon. I, I think it was. It was, it was. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't he, it told, he actually came to Hampton freshman year and told told uh, did a a stand up for us and was hilarious. And I think he actually. Uh, kind of expanded on that joke when we were there. So yeah, I love John Witherspoon. Yeah, you know. So they had a. Uh, I, it was uh, next Friday, right? Because it was. I was thinking mm-hmm. of the first one, and I think no. it was they. They had a, a barbecue joint, and mm-hmm. they were saying. I, how I, th- I think it was Friday after. It wasn't yeah. the first one because it was the first, the first one. one. Nah, it wasn't the. Fr- I think it was. Um, what was on the Friday after next? Yeah, yeah, I think it was Friday after something next. Something like that. Like, oh, this food tastes so good, it'll make you want to slap them. Slap but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Marcus, you, Marcus, you you touched on something, talking about your mom cooking these dishes, this dishes, right? Mm-hmm. But one of the things that you talked about that needs visiting with is just how much food is a community thing and a family thing and a, a uniter you know where you know somebody comes to visit your house and no food and no interest in eating nothing but your mom's like i'm gonna go in the kitchen and whip something up i'm sure chef b's here that's <laughs> he's heard that statement <laughs> so many times go whip something up for him right but but it's a thing of like togetherness where you come to somebody's house they have to feed you and when they do it's a way of telling you that you're family. It's a way of telling you you're welcome. And if they don't feed you, so I'm speaking about my mom here, right? You, you'd come visit and she'd have food that's maybe been in the fridge and nobody was interested in eating it. And I'm like, mom, they don't want to eat that. No, that's your problem. You're going <laughs> to eat it. I, if she goes through the trouble of like heating it up and making it ready and you don't eat it, misunderstanding right what are you trying to say <laughs> you are banned from the house yeah. right you're not coming back right yeah. right oh you you trying to tell me we're not good enough for you like it, it's something around food that's really cultural right it brings people together you know kids like i remember growing up and you know for christmas or like this big mostly christmas and maybe new year's they don't let you eat by yourself. Like, they literally put the food in a big old thing, and the kids would be like three or four or five kids eating from the same big old bowl, right? Which is like, you're like, I don't want to do this, but they're like, shut up. Eat. <laughs> you know, you but it's to- a way. You know, it's a way to show communion. It's a way to show community. It's a way to show what together, right? You know how you, um, you know the phrase that so many, I know, black people all over the world and heard, 
that lets you know you about to eat real good. You come home from school, from college, you bring your girlfriend or your boyfriend or whatever the case may be, and your grandmother, your mama say, ooh, we got to put some meat on your bones. You're so skinny. The moment you hear that, you know you about to eat so good, man. You like, man, I'm about to eat good. Sometimes I be like, you know, you've been to college. You ain't got no money. Man, you come home for Thanksgiving and your grandma sets you off right. Man, you take food back to college. Everybody, the whole dorm smells amazing because everybody reheating food they had from Thanksgiving and it don't last but a day because anybody who, you know, folks don't cook too good, they all dip it in your plate. But that is the number one line I think we all can, that resonates with our community. The moment somebody say, oh, you looking skinny, you about to have a feast that will put, you know, Golden Corral and all of them out of business because you about to eat yeah. real good. Yeah. Chef, Chef B, let me ask you something. This question my daughter asked me um, last night. Oh, not last night. Yesterday. She asked me what my secret ingredient to cooking was. Like, what ingredient do you use in just about anything you cook and why? Uh, is You always have to, like I tell my students, you always have to put, like, love into it. Like, food is that important because um, you don't, you don't want to mess up somebody's day. You know, like, it might be the only time they eat. It might be the only time that they get a break. Uh, so, it, like for dinner even for like certain instances like i i'm so strict on my marinating process i'm like i didn't get it in for six hours i start to question that so it's like are you putting enough thought and thoughtfulness into the food is probably like the first thing um but after that you know the repertoire goes deep like it's so i just don't limit myself to anything uh, like people always like so what type of food do you like to cook i like to cook all of it i want to see what it does it's such, uh, like, I've always had this feeling of it being the most wonderful art on the planet because it touches every sense. It touches, uh, you can hear, I, I've said it before, uh, like, listening to the butter melt and hearing uh, the sounds of food cooking and crackling. It's such a beautiful thing. I think a lot of people take it for granted, but, like, from my stance. I'm always like looking forward to that. The smell, like uh, roasted garlic, was the the reason why I started to pursue. I smelled it in the oven, like the first time. I was like, I, I got to know what that does. Roasted garlic? Yeah, roasted garlic. <laughs> Boy, uh, like, you are destined to be a chef. Yeah, you are. I love <laughs> that smell too, though. Yeah. It's a great smell, man. It's, it's, it's one of those weird smells <clears throat> that if you're not like now, I I love it and I know what it is. So I know where it comes from. I know where it grows. But at that time, I was so curious about it. So, like, it's always just, like, touching all the senses. Like, it's just it's the greatest art form on the planet. I don't care. Like, music rivals it. People say painting and all this stuff. But, like, we touch every sense. And, of course, the taste buds are spoken for. So, <laughs> you know. It's, You're right. It, yeah. I, I can't even argue with that. You're right. It Like, food touches everything everything like mm -hmm. music you might move but you don't get to taste dance yeah <laughs> so i will it's, i'm gonna give you that <laughs> yeah so it's i think that's i think that's my lean like that's what i lean on and that's my crutch when it comes to it like touch every sense when it comes to somebody because of course they look at it visually they're like oh man this looks great or even if it doesn't look great you know I've, uh, people have put in plates in front of me i'm like i wouldn't i don't know what to do with this 
do I put my fork here or do I cut here? I don't know what to like actually do. But then you taste it is the final piece of it. So if you can touch all senses, I think that's my main ingredient. Man, that's what's up. I can't I can't lie. I will, that's one thing I really respect about your profession, about chefs, period. You never you I, I never imagined that you all say, hmm, I got these six ingredients. What should I make? Cause you always got something that you can whip up and think of. Like sometimes I get in the kitchen and I got all this food, but I can't think of a dang thing to make. I'm like, I'm like, what can I make? And I I, I don't, you know, because I don't have that that vision like like somebody like yourself. So I'm always a little envious of that because, you know, I'm like, I got all this food in here, but I don't know what to make. Or you keep making the same thing. Yeah, you know, and an extension to that is, you know, I get in the kitchen on a Saturday or a Sunday and I'm there for five, six hours and I don't know what I'm doing, right? And I, I make like the same chicken dish or the same <laughs> rice, but you watch like Chopped, you watch Chopped in right. 20 minutes. They make everything, including ice cream. Yeah. Yep. Like they even make gnocchi <laughs> from scratch. <Yes. laughs> it's just like yep. I'm sitting there like, what the hell is this? I mean, yeah. for real, I be struggling with it. I'm like, just give me some Toll House cookies. That's all I got. <laughs> just, you know, hey, give me some ruffles. <laughs> you know, I yep. could, that's all I got. <laughs> that And I, I think that comes from like, it's just a variation of something that you've done before. Anytime that I see something like, uh, we have a full, like I work, I teach at a high school and we have a full-fledged restaurant attached to it. And a lot of the stuff that I teach them is just a variation of something I've done already. So one, like you have to keep doing it. And it's like, it's, it's more than repetitive because like repetition is like always occurring and it's the same. And it's like, I, I know this, I know. Sometimes you got to step out and like, all right, what if I add this to it? Or what if I take this out? And I put this into it. Or what if I make it look like this? And I think that's the balance of, like, creativity when it comes to us. So my wife is the same way, fellas. Don't feel any type of way because she even says she, – she confessed it, which is, like, rare. But uh, she said <laughs> – Don't get in trouble, man. I'm not. Don't I'm get not. in trouble. <laughs> she said, I'm not like you. I can't just whip up something. I need, like, a plan. And I'm, I am like, all right, we have this, this, and this. I can make it work, and um, I do it probably like two to three times a week. So it's just I think it's something that has to do with like your job and skill. Like just keep working on it, and eventually it falls out. It just does its own thing. Uh, next so time me, I, let me, next let time me I'm about to just uh, make pancakes and bacon, and because I can't think of nothing, I'm gonna call you. I'm like I <laughs> gotcha. can't think of nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> we can do some stuff. <laughs> You can, you can call him and say you need a big box. Yeah, <laughs> for true. Show, for there show. you go. Yep, yep. There you go. Yep. <laughs> hey, so, Chef B, let me ask you a question around the contribution of black cuisine um, to popular culture. Why do you think it's not highlighted as much in the storytelling? I'm, I'm asking this because in um, High on the Hog, we see instances of where they showcased, you know, the influence of black cuisine in popular foods today but we still have a lot of chefs that a lot of angles a lot of like just contribution that is not highlighted why do you think that is you know it's the american way with certain things you know we we're often put in the back row and if you want to like treat it as like food we're on the back burner um and now we're coming to the forefront with certain things like because it's not that they ignore us but it's usually like 
well, he's there. He's he's a good addition to the team, or he's he's good to have on staff. And realizing that you can tap into their talent and tap into anybody's talent, a man, woman, child, like like black people in general, we create, we find ways of using things. So I think for long it's been, you know, support staff so much. Now it's starting to come out like these people have been here this whole time. They just don't get recognized for it. Um, or they don't get the comparison because uh, this chef has been doing it for so many years and they've been on the forefront. You know, I think there's an awakening now. You know, I, um, the pandemic, uh, I think a lot of people started to tap into what they do well because they had to. And people started to notice certain things. And I think those things have always been there. They, we've been here for years. Uh, the talent has been here for years. The history has been here for years. But now I have time to acknowledge it. And if I have any advice for black people is take your time and use it. Don't sit there and just say like, well, they deserve. we deserve this. Because eventually they'll take it back and give it to somebody else. Yeah. That's so true, man. I mean, it's, that is. It's like well, it's like why, jazz why, music. Why do you think? <laughs> no, well, that's what I'm saying. It's it's like jazz music. You know, like we created it, but how many of us do you see play it anymore? And I and I think that's so important. And I also think, you know, you know, I'm not trying to blame and, and create anything here, but it's just true. So often, if you don't look like us and you you have a you know a bit of a paler face, you can take our cuisine. And you'll get Michelin stars for it. And then we, who have been making it for 200, 400 years, it's just considered soul food. That's the food across the railroad tracks. It ain't healthy for you. Fried chicken is fried chicken. It's made in the same oil. But because you put sprinkle a few chives on it, you can charge somebody $28 and I can only, and I'm only charging 12. You know, and I think that's one of the things. And it's kind of like what Chef B was saying, like, there's just certain things that's that's just part of America. But I really give credit to the show, and I even give credit not only to the subject matter, but the way in which they show the subject matter. They did it with an elegance. They did it with, like, it wasn't just, and no disrespect, because I like diners, drive-ins, and dives, but it wasn't done in some simplistic, like, hey, just just good eats around the neighborhood. It was a, They showed elevated food. They showed these farmers making elevated cuisine that you could find anywhere in New York City or in LA or Philly and these, you know, five-star Michelin rated, you know, restaurants. But these are just folks, that's just how they eat. You know, I've had this conversation with Ben quite a bit. And, you know, I grew up kind of like almost like a farm type setting. You know, I grew up with cows and horses and pigs and chickens and things of this nature. And like so many young people my my age, you know, like I wanted to eat McDonald's and Pizza Hut, just like every kid my age. And we was not wealthy, but when you have your own and you're living off of garden and you, you know, you know, sustainable food, you don't realize that you're eating filet mignon when you sit here asking for some, you know, a hamburger from McDonald's. I didn't know I was eating good because as a kid, you, that's not what's appealing to you. You know, and so I, I say that to people like we have to change the way we have our mentality. We also have to demand that we be seen. And I would say to fellow black people, when you see on Yelp or you see in your newspaper, or you hear a radio ad or you get a, a recommendation and you hear like, hey, 
there's this new uh, black-owned restaurant that opened up down the street. Just like we tell you in the movie business, go support it week one. Because you don't realize how much a liquor license costs. And most high-end restaurants can't survive if they don't serve alcohol. So go, go there. Be, give a good review. Recognize. We're not asking you to, to praise subpar performances. Don't go there expecting to be subpar. But also recognize, like, we'll go to a brand new grand opening of a non-black restaurant. And we're like, oh, it's their first week. They're getting the kinks out. But when it's us, boy, we'll put a scarlet letter in your chest and say, ah, you know, they ain't got their stuff together. My food was, it took a little long. Like, I would just say, like, support your own. And that's one thing I've always loved about the Asian community. They support their stuff to the ends of the world. And I love that about them. I'm not saying you can't support non-black stuff. So I don't want anybody coming for me for that. But what's wrong with saying, let's support black businesses? The one thing that I really hope, sincerely, that derives from not only the pandemic, but through all the loss that we have all shared in the black community over the last, I mean, I wish I could say just the last year, but it's been going on forever, but specifically the last year, is that you saw the DoorDashes, the Uber Eats, the Grubhubs start really highlighting Black-owned businesses. I don't know why we had to lose so many people for people to for companies to recognize that there's value in that. But I do hope that not only the Black community, but the non-Black community, that opened their eyes to find some some cool eats that maybe they never considered before. You know, I can I can honestly tell you we're here in this melting pot of Los Angeles. And I'm always, I'm a, and being to tell you, I'm a foodie. Like, I'm not just a person who eat just for eating. I like to have an experience too. And so I have learned so many Black-owned businesses and Black restaurants that are serving vegan food and serving seafood and, and sometimes even something like Italian food. And you're like, a Black person serving Italian food? We ask that question, but we never say anything when some white person is selling basically soul food. We never say like, oh... That's weird. You know why? Because it's become the norm. So black people make every kind of food, not just fried chicken and collard greens. We make everything and not just, you know, quick and get it, diners, driving and dives kind of food, but fine dining. And I feel like this show did such an amazing job of highlighting the variation and the skill sets that we, that we have because we've been feeding presidents We've been feeding emperors. <laughs> We've been feeding people since the beginning of time because cooking is in our genes. So that's my that's my long winded way of answering your question, Ben. But no, uh, I, so to that, I don't. I to that question, I can't pin. I don't know that I have any other thing to pin to it. There's a couple of things that I wanted to bring up. One, I really want to give a big shout out, Marcus. You talked about highlighting um, black owned restaurants. And there's a guy that you have to meet, actually, David Bullock. His handle is um, at Alaska, for anybody that's interested in following him. He's a really good dude. He has a marketing company that's called 907 Agency. I'm just giving him this free blast. But the dude understands how to activate around culture. Like, he does. So if you, if you play, like, EA, and you see, like, support black colleges, the, the kit in there that you can change into, that's his work. Like, this whole thing of, like, support black restaurants and all of that, that's his work. Like, that's a concept that he came up with. I can't tell you that, oh, he made Yelp do it or made Facebook, but he's a concept that he came up with, right? So I just want to give him 
you know, cats like that, he, he's just out there doing it quietly. Just a good, good guy. Um, David Bullock, he's, he's company, 907 Agency. If you want to do, like, real cultural work, and this is unpaid, by the way, reach out to him. He will knock it out of the park for you at Alaska if you want to follow him on social media. But the question to me around recognition and highlighting I talked before about Italian food and Brazilian food and Mexican and Japanese and Chinese. That's an issue I call an issue of the flag, which is, I think, I don't know, Marcus, we and I have talked about this, but I think everywhere you go, right, if if you're in a Mexican restaurant, it's a high probability to have a flag somewhere. If you go into an, look at it, Irish restaurant, Irish pub, right? So when I was in grad school, one of my instructors said, if you go to a city and you want to know your way around, find an Irish pub. So we don't, you know, as a people, black restaurants don't have a flag. And, you know, for good reason, right? Because the food is not one-dimensional. The food is how it's prepared and all of that. But I think it's, it's, it's I don't know, this is a one-hand, other-hand kind of argument here because you can argue the complete other way and it makes sense. But because we don't have that flag and because there's no real definition around what it is, it's easy for folks to gloss over it. It's easy for folks to want to report when somebody else does it, where, all right, Marcus does this fried chicken, but somebody else picks it up and adds a couple of leaves to it and reduces the size by 50% and like, oh, he's gourmet, gourmet Marcus's chicken, right? But I think that there's, there's also an issue of the flag around it where it's like, okay, now that we have this, now that we have, you know, the you know, the flavors, and we have the preparation and the season. Like Chef B said, he marinates his food for six hours. I'm like, good luck, brother. Like when Ben needs to eat sandpaper and ketchup, I'm not waiting for no damn six hours <laughs> to right. marinate the food. <laughs> I was like, six hours? Like, your kids. But like you said, you, you're prepared for it. You probably have meals that are done while they wait, and you start prepping your meals maybe in the morning before you go um, you know, teaching these kids or like, you know, working on big box or what have you, right? But I think that issue of a flag and the issue of pinning it to what it is, because if you go back and look in the smaller pockets of Jamaican restaurant, a flag's been pinned on that one. So when you when you run into a joint and they say, let's go to a Jamaican restaurant, you know what you're getting, right? Let's go to a Peruvian restaurant, you know what you're getting. But it's nowhere where you say, let's go have black food, because it ain't. But that's also a problem because it gets it gets lost in the shuffle of restaurants until when Yelp and French started highlighting black restaurants and you're like, well, all these things happen, right? So, I mean, that's my long spiel about it. But I think to me that that's a big issue. Um, and it's also a big opportunity because what, what that ends up giving us a, a chance to do with black food is to not make it be the monolith that it's not, right? It could be Jamaican, you know, it could be Cameroonian, it could be Nigerian, there's Ethiopia, there's literally Ethiopia here um, in LA. You can go there and have, you know, Ethiopian food. You can have, you know, Somalian food and, you know, what have you, right? There's all these, you can have, uh, <laughs> Marcus, what city are you from in South Carolina? If, they, if, if you had food that was particular to that region, right? You have that. But because because we can, be, if we had an opportunity to start pinning those flags, I think it would, it would not be as easy for the culture and the food and the variations of it to get lost in the shuffle, 
But I think that's one of the challenges that if you are a black chef, which I really want to kind of throw this question to you, uh, Chef B, but I think that's one of the challenges too. Um, You know, I think so many people expect certain things and they don't want any variation thereof. You know, I remember when Chinese food was really becoming big in America, and I'm sure it's bigger in big cities, but I'm from a more rural area. If you had a Chinese restaurant, if they didn't have sweet and sour chicken, nobody wasn't going to eat it because that was so many people's introduction to Chinese food. But yet Chinese people probably rarely, if never, ate that food before. And I feel like that's one of the challenges for black chefs, too. It's like you're almost pigeonholed into having to serve, you know, a fried chicken, soul food things, things that are deemed soul food. And the moment that you try to cook something outside of that, people feel like, whoa, whoa, now stay, stay in your lane because we've kind of, that's all we know. And I think that's one of the unique things, like when even when Ben talks about other uh, predominantly black countries like the Caribbean or things or places in Africa, they get to like, you know, plant their flag because it is, you know, Ghanaian food. It is Ethiopian, Cameroonian. It is, you know, St. Lucian. But I think that's one of the challenges for black Americans because we don't really have a flag. Our flag is America, to be honest, because that's all we really know. And unfortunately, when people say, well, what is black food? I'm like, well, when you think of American food, what do you think of? Most people would say hamburgers, right? I would say after hamburgers, as you said in the beginning, mac and cheese is one of the more American foods that you can even, other than the hamburgers and French fries, and when I be honest, we didn't even create French fries. But after you start looking at it, you, you start thinking a lot of the black foods are probably in the top 10. I mean, most people are going to say hamburgers because we sell, up, sell billions of them. But I would say mac and cheese is just as American as, as hamburgers are. It's just not sold, you know, the numbers and, and, you know, fast food change that. So I guess I come to you and just say, as a black chef, what do you see as some of the biggest challenges for whether it be starting a restaurant, getting uh, people into uh, what you make, or just some of the roadblocks? Like, are you pigeonholed as as a black chef? I'm just I'm just kind of curious what your thoughts are. Yeah, I think definitely pigeonholed because I think unless people actually know you, you know, like people know I went to culinary school. If people know that, then they'll know that I'm a, like my culture of food is a little bit different but when people don't know that they do pigeonhole you in it they're like they'll say like oh man you probably make like a killer fried chicken and I think it happens in most workplaces like if like you like if somebody at your job ever approached you and was like hey did you hear that new young thug album you know like nah I didn't I, I actually <laughs> I wasn't listening I wasn't looking for it so but I was like and we get we get sent into these categories because we are black and is the association of being black. And it's not a bad thing. You know, I will never run from that. I will never be like, oh, don't put me over there with them. I am them. I want to be them. I want them to understand me, but I also want the other side to understand me. You know, uh, I, I went to a Catholic school, kindergarten through 12. I was in a Catholic school. And uh, then I went to Hampton University and... Through K through 12, well, actually, let's get this right. K through 8 was predominantly black. It was an inner city black school. And then I went to a predominantly white high school. And you kind of, there is a culture shift. It's like, how do you understand what they do? 
and how do you understand the things that they want and what makes them happy and you at the same time you don't want to lose yourself though like I, that was the amazing thing is I never lost myself during that whole time but I think that's what can occur with black food we lose ourselves as black chefs don't try to lose yourself be you like be a hundred percent you and that that that's not just food that is everything you know um i give you the perfect example right now i forgot her name but the young lady that's running track she got the colored hair the nails oh, yeah, she just won yeah just yeah the other day. And i'm just yeah, like yeah. i'm just like that is the the a beautiful picture of what we need to see because she is her and she's just running. And that's what she does. Same thing goes for food. I'm going to cook. I'm going to do it well. And let me do it. Don't just try to say like, oh, you're going to cook some great fried fish. And it's going to be amazing fish fry. I've done that. Don't get it twisted. <laughs> but it's also give me my credit for cooking in French restaurants and fine dining. And then give our credit to our chefs that are... Uh, growing in a, a part of the industry that's like um, is 800% growth is vegan and vegetarian. It's there. We need to be acknowledged. Um, it's a little bit harder. But for this industry, it's hard for anybody that wants to make it. You really have to put a lot of work in. So uh, and getting your name out there and making food for the right people. And it eventually it'll, it'll curve its way. But uh, give don't don't pigeonhole people. Like, give them, like, I want to see what you do. Give them the stage to give you their product. And you'll see that they've worked hard on their product and they enjoy it. Do not put this Do not put this guy in a box. This is a man that's been to Morocco. This is a man been down in the south of France. Like, don't put this yeah. man in no box now. <laughs> yeah. He he didn't been a little modest, but I'm going I'm to put it on blast. This yeah. ain't no Rudy Poo up in here, let right. me tell y'all. And that's somebody who's been doing it. You know, that goes for a lot of black chefs. We have to be, uh, what's the word, journeymen, right? Like, we have to, we got, because we want to, I want to figure it all out. You know, I I tell my students, like, there's two things that I wish I did, and I probably still could, like, you never know. Um, I wish I worked on a cruise ship. I wish I had signed that contract at one time. I wish that I worked at a pizza shop because I don't understand the the pizza flow yet. Like, I'm, I have my own little recipe, but the stone and working in a brick oven pizza. I want to feel that. I want to know that stuff. But like, we have to be journeymen. We ha we can't limit ourselves because we ultimately have to look for where the money is because we're getting paid. And then we pick up stuff and we put it in our bag. We're like, oh, I got this. I'm going to take this with me. I'm going to take this with me. And I'm going to bring this here to this restaurant. They never saw this before. And that's usually what happens. And when you have... Uh, it's important to keep that flowing. Like, don't keep somebody there just to keep them there. It's like, oh, he fills ours. Because then you're going to be upset with the product. It's like, oh, we're not keeping up with the trend of what food is. People aren't into this as much as they used to be. And I think that's, we're journeymen. Like, most most chefs, and I will speak for myself as a black chef, I'm a journeyman. Like, I will go where it's hitting. Where where is it going down at? I want to know. I want to know where it's like. And sometimes it's not even about the paycheck. It is about the experience. Like, do I have to travel around the world to go get it? 
let's go see. And and I think that's what a lot of chefs try to do. That's deep. That's so deep, that man. That is deep, right? <laughs> yeah. That is deep. Man goes after his craft and doesn't want to be. But I think that's part of that's part of the depth of the cuisine, right? That's part of to me, that's really what makes black cuisine black, because it takes from you know, it it takes and it, you know, adjusts and it's it's very attached to to the chef, right? It's very attached to, you know, who they are and where they're from and, you know, the story that they want to tell, their journey in life and, and all these things. And they need to adjust also economically to make sure that, you know, what they cook, sell in um specific markets. So last thing before we go to, I don't know, should we do this, Marcus? Last thing before we go to um the scoring favorite restaurant. You can't do 10. <laughs> I got to do. Yep. <laughs> you got to do. <laughs> you got to do one. So, um, Marcus, you want to go first or Chef Bia, you're going to go first? Oh, man. I always let the guests go first because uh, we bring uh, that thunder. So let's let him yeah. take it. So, and I, I think my wife will appreciate this story a lot because I'm going to include her, but also just. Um, Going when I was like in France, when I was working and everything, they would say like, "Yo, you got to go to the south of France for holiday," and I really didn't get an opportunity to do that. Like I was, I work. I was just like, "Yo, I gotta be here. I gotta be working and all this stuff." But um, I pitched that idea for my to my wife for our honeymoon to actually do that, and I was like, "All right, let me see." And she was a hundred percent for it. I don't think we. I can't remember. It was like nine years ago. But I can't remember any like, a, like defense. Like, no, we're not going there. It was like this is it, and this is what we're gonna do. So, um, we went to the south of France, and like being in Monaco, uh, Monte Carlo, all of that is just it's like the playground for the rich. Is yachts and Lamborghinis and cars is everything. It's like it's probably like the closest I've ever been to that at that point in my life. Like, I was just like, everything seemed like gold. And it was very small. It's probably about six city blocks of, in New York, I would guess. Like, it's, it's not large at all. Like, it's not a big space. But um, there's a restaurant there right on the water called the Beef Bar. And um, the Beef Bar, you know, it. if your waiter takes your order and you never see him again, you know you're about to drop a check. Like... That's, I'm just going to say that about that. He, like, I don't, he had a nice suit on. He well-groomed everything, nails. Like, we were like, I was like, that suit has to be Italian of some sort. Like, because that's the thing. Like, people are like Italian suits or whatever. But um, I was like, that dude's dressed nice. He got nice shoes, everything. And he took our order. I never saw him again. Like, that was it. He took, he's like the lead waiter. And all he does is take the order um, because he has current knowledge of the whole thing and you know i didn't have many questions but i did get an argentinian steak uh medium rare and with the sides it was potatoes and i think there was a green in there somewhere but the focus of the meal was definitely the steak and it's probably one of the best meals i ever had it is a chain restaurant i believe i think and i got i should check like one day but there's one in new york and there's one in mexico city but the one in Monaco, probably my favorite restaurant of all time. Yeah. I don't know how you compete with no 
Monaco. And I mean, yeah, I'm just plenty. I'm, 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 get there in a plenty. private jet. <laughs> I mean, I'm from Ferrari, a little small town to of 1,200 people. I ain't used to that kind of living. That, I need to up my game. To, we had to treat ourselves at one time. That was that was probably the most extravagant vacation we've been on, and that was the start. So no. the, the next couple of ones, I guess, will be matching that soon. So <laughs> yeah. you know what, man? I'm all about it. I hey, I, that's one thing I think we as black people should do more of is travel the globe. Yes. Passport because must. every time I travel somewhere, I realize oftentimes, and I've said this to Ben, there are times I've been to other countries and I felt more welcome there than I do just right. in a particular town here in the states. So. Yep. I, I I always I'm always a fan of that, um, but I think I, I I put some thought to this uh, because I I had a feeling Ben was going to ask this question, and I was like, I know I didn't be into a bunch of restaurants, uh-huh. and I was like, I know some of them have to be black, and I just started kind of thinking about it, and I was just like, I'm just going to pick some of my the restaurants I like a lot here in L.A., and then I was like, oh, it dawned on me, there's a restaurant here in Los Angeles called Post and Beam. And I recall, as Chef Armstrong, he, the food there is sensational. Every, he, he's long been big on, like, sustainable local ingredients, which is really something that I really i am big on, especially growing up on a farm-type setting. You know, my father used to say all the time, you know, I don't know why people charge you more uh, for, uh, you know, the food that is organic. Because he's like, it's the pesticides that cost a fortune, so the bad food should cost more than the healthy food, if you really think about it. Um, but I think this chef, um, Armstrong, I think that's, I'm pretty sure that's the name of the chef from um, Post and Beam. But he actually was an apprentice under Wolfgang Puck at 13. It was something like that. Like, I, I'm like, man, are you an apprentice at 13? Like, that's crazy. But I know he's been on, like, Iron Chef and Top Chef and, um, Oprah, I know Oprah was a big fan of his, but his restaurant here in LA, it's just, I went there twice on a, like a special event and, you know, my wife and I went there one night and I was like, this, this right here is so good. And somebody heard me say it at a table next, next door. And I didn't even know it was black on, you know, it's just good food. And the person like, oh, you know, the chef is black. I'm like, really? You know? And honestly, I, that's, that's one of the things that I would say and to encourage other people, like, just try good food. And then when you find out, especially if you're, you know, a black person out there, and if you find out it's a black on show, like, go back, put put the word out, you know. I try to use TripAdvisor, and I, I try to be very active, not even if it's just black owned, obviously, but if I'm really moved, especially when it's a mom and pop, especially when it's a mom and pop, like, I want to get the word out there because the restaurant business is brutal. And as a, a small business owner for a number of years, um, I know how hard it is to get your recognition. So um, I'm glad that being asked this question. So if any of these restaurants that were mentioned, whether it's, you know, you travel abroad or you're here in the States, make it your mission to do your part and start, you know, supporting some of these businesses because don't take them for granted. The pandemic has taken so many businesses out. So if you don't support them, who will? So for anybody here in LA and you want to fine dining, sustainable, local ingredient type meal, check out Post and Beam. I, yeah, I highly it recommend it. Yeah. yeah. So what about great. you, Ben? Uh, what about me? So like I said, Ben can eat sandpaper and ketchup. So none of this fancy Monaco, bloody, bloody, <laughs> blail. <laughs> <laughs> but 
I got to say, I went to um, New York's, I think it's like two years ago. And mm-hmm. there's a dude out there that gave me a list of restaurants to try out. And I tried out this Senegalese French restaurant called Ponte Bistro. It's in Harlem. I tell you, I, I don't think I've had food that good. Because, uh, like, to me, I don't care about how food is plated. Like, I'm not one of those people that, like, enjoys plating. I know, like, the food just needs to taste good. And this, I had, like, a, a salmon and something, rice or something like that. But everything was right at the edge. You know how, like, the salt, like, couple greens and it's, and it's over? Like, everything they had, and they had some olives in it. It was just, like, the best plate I'd had in a long time. So if, if you're going to ask me, and I went back, so I was there probably for close to a week. I probably ate at that joint for, like, four or five times. I just kept going back and trying different things, and it's that good. So definitely that's... um. That to me is the one that's actually, you know, came back to L.A. thinking to myself like, man, I wonder why they don't have one out here. Because <laughs> because L.A., like one of the things with L.A. is there's good food here. Don't get me wrong. But in L.A., people do pay for the view. Like you can have go to a restaurant that's really crappy but has a great view. And the restaurant does extremely well because, you know, people pay for the view and people are not that picky with good food. I think New York is a little bit on like the cutting edge of like food where it has to taste good for it to stay in business, you know, as opposed to LA. So that's, that's really it for me. You're going to get it. Oh, he going to get it for that comment. I can't wait. Let me just say, I think LA is one of the best food cities in America. And I'm not just saying, Oh, it brown please nose. put it. I'm, I'm not, telling you. It, so it's he, better. He just hated LA. on LA. Come get him. <laughs> Dude, LA is better. LA is better than topic. Minnesota. It's better than Minnesota. So I moved here from Minnesota, right? From Minneapolis. It's better because obviously there's more diversity and all. But even comparing it to Boston, Marcus, how long ago was I in Boston? Uh, uh, not that long, like a few months ago, right? Like two. Yeah, or three a few months ago. months ago, I was in Boston, and I just you know you check out the food scene. No rag. Like you want to try Haitian food, they got it. You want to try Jamaican food, they got it. Like you can find Jamaican food here, but you got to go to the one or the second one, which is like many, many yards apart. Or you go and they say, oh, it's Cuban food. There's a joint out there towards, you know, your side of Bougie Town, Beverly Hills, Marcus Mall. But there's one out there, <laughs> Cuban restaurant, and you go buy it and you're like. Yeah, but oh, you also got to keep loud in mind, like, like, I'm just going to bypass that because he cruising for oh, that Oh, I did say it out been, loud. I apologize. <laughs> he been, he, he's always cruising. I'm telling you. I, but, I But you apologize. know what? I think that's also because of the region, too. Like, you're going to get more, uh, you know, Caribbean food restaurants and things like that on the East Coast because I think of the location. I think here in L.A., obviously, you're going to get amazing uh, Mexican food, you're going to, like, I think the Asian food in um, California is probably the best Asian food outside of whatever home country it is because, you know, there's there's such a large population of Chinese or, or, or I don't know, whatever it may be, Filipino, uh, things of that nature. But I, I do think that one thing I think L.A. does amazing is they make amazing fresh food. Like, things, if you want something that's, like, fresh and you're like, oh, it's just going to be a boring kale salad. Man, they'll put something on that thing, and you'll be like, what? I don't right. even like kale that much. I mean, you're like, man, they say, you know, you didn't have ate like four <coughs> or five kale salads. So, yeah. you know, I think it's different. You know, I also think to the Northeast, like if you're a steak eater, like for me, I don't eat beef or pork. But for people who like, you know, steaks and stuff, I think the big cities like Philly, Chicago, uh, Boston, uh, New York, man, they, they murder that because that's just so prevalent. But when you come out here, 
uh, where people are so health conscious, it's a different, it's a different vibe, you know, cause you got a lot of, you know, it's just a different, you know, kind of vibe of how people eat, but, but yeah. Anyway. All right. So, so it's time to get to the scores. That's, it's, it's, I was about to say, let's get, it, let's get to the score. All right. Chef so we didn't made you go first every time. Chef B, are you, are you cool with going first again? Yeah, definitely. All right. All right. It's on you. Yeah, so get it. So the score's on five, Chef B. I know you've listened to episodes before, and you're probably familiar. But I'll just explain it in case there's somebody that's listening just because we got Chef B, and this is the first time. The score's on five. One's poor. Five's great. Black Panther level. Take it away. (laughs) How do you grade it? So, you know, I'm. I definitely give it a a four point five. Um. I, nothing's perfect, you know, so I'm always, and I want to give the option to say that to anything. I would, I'm, I'm real tough when I give out fives or even a tens with anything. So like when I give something, I'm like, Oh, it's at this point right here because nothing is perfect. And you know, you're always wanting more. And I think that they have an opportunity to add a little bit more because we've talked about Caribbean food many times. Um, we there's Afro-Latino food. There's uh, so much other food that we can dive into. We can get deeper into the vegan and vegetarian food that's occurring right now and how that came about. Uh, the diaspora of just going through Africa. Uh, ben, you said it best with like the different types of jollof rice. Like, let's dig into that. Let, let's find out why those things occur. And I think you know, it's an opportunity. And, you know, a book is usually better than the actual visual aspect of it. So I give them credit for bringing this to our in-house screens at home. But uh, let's let's get a part two. I'm down for a part two. And I'm definitely tuning in for, like, a Caribbean, South American, uh, Afro-Latino, uh, more African like touching on the African markets and the different parts of food in Africa. And I think they can probably, they could probably do like a 10 part series, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to give it a four. I'll give it a four for a few reasons. So beyond food, this shows like it's, it's part history. It's this, a, a historical lesson that's embedded in it. There's, there's a lot of culture that's embedded in it. It's very informative. It's inspiring. It's powerful. It triggers you in a good way, not the other kind of triggering that we've done, that we've covered before in Culture Score. This, it triggers curiosity. It triggers pride. It triggers nostalgia, right? So it's a show about fragments of black culture and history through food, right? So it, it's really deep. That's why I give it a very solid four. Now, I can't say everything is covered historically accurate because I don't know that. And usually when I watch some of these shows that touch on history, you want to go back and really dive into it. And you know, history is whoever wrote it, right? So there's that aspect of it that I look at. But the obvious thing that I questioned in the show, you know, as they talked about slavery and they talked about the foods that came over, you know, with slave trade and all of that, is that clearly slavery had more than one port of departure, right? It wasn't just from Benin, right? It came from Ghana, it came from Cameroon. It came from Nigeria, right? So it came from a lot of other places, and which weren't covered in the 
it, it, it wasn't covered or wasn't mentioned. So it, it does make it seem like it's a one truth if the viewer's not careful to ask these questions and dig into it. And so because of that, I gave it a, a little ding. But the show brings out a lot of light to darkness. It brings out a lot of light to something that we otherwise wouldn't trigger up in our consciousness, right? So I give it a solid four. That's my score. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go a lot higher than both of you um, on this one. I'm, I'm going to go 4.9. Um, the reason why I'm going to give it such a high mark, and I hear what both of you are saying, and they're beyond valid points. But I think when you, you know, like you said, you both said this in your own way, like this could easily be a 20-part series because we've just influenced food so greatly. So I just don't know since it's based off a book, was the author just trying to talk about the foods that have had a prevalence in America? If that's the case, then maybe you won't have as many other nations in Africa because maybe all of the foods that are eaten there hasn't had as big as uh, a larger prominence here in the States. Um, that's one point of view. I do 100% agree that the Caribbean influence specifically has been so uh, overlooked but again, we know how Netflix does uh, these shows. It was only four episodes, so perhaps there is going to be a part two. So I, too, reserve the right to kind of change my score. But the main reason why I'm giving it such a high mark is for a number of reasons. One is I like to compare it to the other shows that are similar to it in this medium. And if you look at other food shows that kind of focus on or even have an episode that focuses on, on black food, it's not done nearly as well as this. It's just not. It's, it's done. So I'm comparing it to other, other shows in the space. Not only is it not done as well, uh, other shows to this one, it's just really rare. Uh, and Ben used this word triggered. We've had so many films come out that we needed to see that, that was important. But to talk about slavery from a place of healing instead of just talking about it for another tragedy porn. Because black people have dealt with so much, particularly over the last year, and to watch this black man be vulnerable, not putting on slavery, people act like, you know, it's just so long ago. I saw something the, uh, today I read that sometimes we'll have you believe that everything happened 200, 400 years ago. Do people realize that Harriet Tubman was alive when Thomas Jefferson was alive? And she was also alive while Ronald Reagan was alive? When you put it in those terms, that ain't that long ago. And so I think that's really important for shows like this to not only educate, but to entertain. And I felt like this show did that in, in spades. And even if it has some flaws, I don't feel like it was purposely trying to leave anything out. I just feel like that's the process of editing or movie making. Like you just can never get everything in. You know, I wasn't a, you know, like when people say, oh man, a book had so much more than a movie. Because a book can take its time to take you on a journey. Yeah, but in a movie, you got a finite amount of time that you can, you can have on, on a streaming service or in a, in a theater. I just felt like it was done in such a, a great way. Um, and when I, when I look at his predecessors or the people that's in his, the shows that appear of it, I just think it did it far and away better than any show I've ever watched personally on Black Cuisine. So for that, I'm going to give it a 4.9. I hope Netflix will, if it's a show that's open to being renewed for another season, they will. And, and even if the book didn't go further than this, 
I would love to see them take it further and to learn more about the diaspora and the food that's in all these. I mean, I know you can't do every country in Africa, clearly, but some of the nuances, because I would love to know that, you know, the oxtails and the things of this nature. Like, I know of them. I don't know everything about them. And some of the foods that Ben is talking about, especially when he was mentioned about the aphrodisiac, I'm like, what's that about? Who takes that? What that's that? So, <laughs> so all jokes aside, I'm going to give it a 4.9. I thought, uh, you know, every everything about it was just the colors, the education, the journey it went on. And it brought us three together and just showed, like, even though we're all three black men, we're from all different walks of life. And yet there's still this commonality. It just kind of shows that how much food just gets rid of division and just shows how much you have in common. So, yeah, if nothing else, I hope people take from this this show is definitely worthy of your time and your attention. Yeah, absolutely. So go ahead and um, let's close this down for the day. I mean, this has been a very riveting, deep conversation. You know, I learned so much. Thanks, Chef B, um, for uh, your insights. You, Appreciate it. Um, hopefully, you have some pictures from Monaco that country boys can see. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so we can live vicariously through you. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, uh, for our next episode, we would promise the listeners three episodes of banging guests um, Chef B, Big Box. That's his project. Check it out. Uh, if you want to find him on social media, it's I am Chef Baker. So I am Chef Baker. That's his handle. You can find him across the different mediums. He's got some, um, just love seeing pictures of your kids out there, man. That was a beautiful thing you did on Father's Day, just hanging out with them. But Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. 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 <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah. So for the next episode, we're, we're going to do something that's called a Flash Black. Um, we'll probably do a bonus episode, too, of something. Where that, that's going to be a surprise. Because uh, we don't know quite yet if we have the muscle for that. But we want to do a bonus episode for something that's fairly deep um, talk about. But we're promised three episodes with amazing guests. Um, we got one, the one we did with um, Jonathan. It's fantastic um, show to cover. Um, snowflakes. We got this one high on the hug with Chef B that we're finishing up right now. For the next one, we're doing Flash Black with an amazing guest. I think last time I said he's going to make Marcus look not so fantastic. I, I That is the <laughs> truth. He did say that. But honestly, all the guests make me look not so fantastic. No, well, this one, so, this one is going to be close to home. This is going to be the fire <laughs> that burns right underneath your feet. And I will make sure. Listen, listen, <laughs> you know. listen. Anyway, I don't pay Ben no attention. To all everybody out there, uh, this is coming to you a little late. Happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. Um, we just want to you know, give you guys props. So to Chef B, to Ben, happy Father's Day. Um, as always, thank you all for listening. Uh, ben, slap them with your handles real quick. Yeah, so it's a Speak Studio Regional Culture Score. You can listen to us on, you know, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google. You want to follow us on social media at speak.studio, the dot spelled out D-O-T, so speak.studio. And my handle is Tubo-B, T-U-B-U-O-B-E. Marcus, your handle? I am Marcus T. It's that the Marcus T. Moore. That's on everything. So the Marcus T. Moore. That's on every, you know, Twitter, IG, Facebook, you name it. That's what it is. So it's the same everywhere. 
All right, cool. And just a quick reminder, it's I Am Chef Baker. That's yeah. our guest, amazing guest with his Bake Box Project. Chef B, thanks again for coming. We well, appreciate you. you, brother. Keep doing the work to keep teaching the kids, running the business, head of family. Be amazing, man. Be the example. We love that about you. So Appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, so again, um, thanks for listening. Um, come back next week. Amazing, amazing guest. Until next time, peace be.